This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Gasping for Crack. Hello, I'm Meenaka Rao and this is Gasping for Breath. This is the second season and the season is about long covid. In this episode, I want to raise a significant question. Is long covid a disability? And if yes, what are our rights? Last year, the Americans with Disability Act recognized long covid as a disability and released a guidance document about it. The document states that long covid is a disability if it substantially limits one or more major life activities. And because it is recognized as a disability, businesses and governments will have to make changes to the way they operate to accommodate a person's long covid related limitations. These are called reasonable accommodations in the disability movement parlance. In May this year, Michael Saunders, a member of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee, shared data and said that the workforce in the UK has shrunk by 1.3%, that is by 4.4 lakh people since the end of 2019. He said that much of the shrunken workforce due to long covid sickness reflects side effects of the pandemic and for example long covid. And in June a tribunal in UK recognized long covid as a disability. This case was filed by a man suffering from long covid who was sacked from his job and wanted permission to sue his employer. So in this episode I spoke to Amba Salilkar. She is a lawyer working on disability rights and implementation of the Convention of Rights of Persons with Disabilities. I wanted to find out how we can think about long covid under the Indian law, the Rights of Persons with Disabilities Act 2016 and how people with long covid can advocate for their rights. what do you think about you know long covid fitting into some form of some definition of disability as under our laws and uh, just to go with you know what people feel about disability is that it's something that you are born with right mostly uh, so i would like to understand if someone has like say debilitating cancer or tb or you know uh, uh, or is taking treatment which is probably temporary or you know some fault like and is unable to function like how does our law accommodate it so the way i would look at it is um you know and and this is also what we spoke about then is that i i i look at the indian law as as what it says like it's supposed to be the implementation of the convention on the rights of persons with disabilities and the convention on the rights of persons with disabilities has a very inclusive understanding of disability in that it takes uh you know it takes the approach that the disability is not the impairment itself so whether it is uh you know you might have down syndrome or you might have schizophrenia or you might have you might be blind that itself is not the disability but what is disabling are the barriers that exist in society that prevent you from enjoying everything on an equal basis with others so to that end uh when we look at the understanding of disability and we look at the definition under the convention on the rights of persons with disabilities which is acronymized as the CRPD um the the CRPD takes this definition that is inclusive so it says that uh persons with disabilities include those who have long term impairments and it talks about sensory intellectual uh you know physical uh, uh, different categories and then says that people who experience barriers 
which when they interact with their impairments, uh, really hamper their full and effective participation. So full and effective participation could be anywhere. It could be the workplace, it could be your family, it could be your cultural identities, what, whatever it may be. So at no point does the CRPD and also the Indian law um, talk only about disabilities as being something that you're born with. And, you know, we know that the majority of persons with disabilities are actually not those who are born with disabilities that are actually acquired. Uh, so that may be on account of uh, illnesses like polio or measles, which, uh, you know, have been linked to disabilities. But you also have the case of psychosocial disabilities, which uh, no one's quite sure about when they manifest, when they sort of occur, but definitely they manifest Quite later in life, um, we see mostly youth, it begins to manifest. Um, and some may be detected only later in any case. So a disability is uh, something which can happen to anyone at any point in time. Uh, every Everyone is temporarily abled in a way because like, you know, it, it can happen at any point. We know conditions that have been well researched and advocated for like Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, uh, which are disabilities that actually manifest later on in life. So in that sense, there has been this evolving understanding of disability. And COVID as itself is something which is quite new. I mean, it's only been something that we have been experiencing since early 2020. I mean, we hear a lot about long COVID and we know anecdotally that it's been impacting people's quality of life beyond the duration of the ailment. Um, but what we, what, what I believe, and, and this is my personal opinion, is that if you have the fact that there are experiences that people are reporting, be it fatigue, uh, be it an inability to concentrate. Um, and uh, in that sense, I think that uh, it, if you look at the CRPD understanding, I would say that it can be considered to be a disability. And also under the CRPD, the definition is meant to be an evolving definition. So for sure, I think this will be something that is considered uh, by the committee probably sooner than later, uh, because I think this question is going to arise more and more in all of the countries that have ratified the CRPD to say that, okay, listen, we have people coming up with these experiences. Now, the purpose of the definition under the CRPD is not about, um, it's not about uh, certification or it's not about social benefits. Because when we, when we often talk about, uh, you know, does a person have a disability, we often jump there. Uh, I mean, I am a person with psychosocial disability on account of various mental illnesses that I've experienced throughout my life. And I have, when I identify or speak to people, uh, you know, who have similar experiences about identifying as somebody with a disability, they'll be like, no, Amba, I don't think that way. You know, I don't need a parking space. You know, <laughs> something like that. And, you know, it's not about the parking space, right? I mean, you have, of course, above a certain threshold, you might have certain entitlements that people should receive on account of the fact that they have a disability. Um, and that is a separate process, which I might get into later, depending on, you know, your questions. But to be sure, at the very basic, 
um, the identification of somebody as somebody with a disability is important because you need to recognize or states need to recognize the experience of discrimination that they may face. Um, so as a person with a disability, when I am in a situation where I am being discriminated against, so whether that is, uh, you know, at my workplace where I need certain adjustments to the workplace for me to be able to work, or whether it's in school or college where, you know, I feel that, you know, I it's too taxing for me to write an examination in a two-hour time period. Um, the way to ensure that I'm not facing discrimination is through the recognition of what's called reasonable accommodation. And this is a concept that has been in the disability movement for a long time. And it came, it was recognized in 2006 under the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. But in its essence, what reasonable accommodation is, is that how you can make a temporary uh personal change, so it's just for this one, one person, that can enable the person to address the barriers that they're experiencing and actually have an equal experience to everyone else. And reasonable accommodations are not meant to be things that are very expensive or require like, you know, like, 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 like bizarre modifications to things like, you know, uh, a, a reasonable accommodation, for example, is not we need you to put in an elevator because that's something that's very long term and, and an elevator is something that's used by multiple people, for instance. It's me as someone with a disability coming forward and saying, look, I am not able to do this like everyone else. I propose that if you let me do this, then I will actually be able to complete the task or write the exam or what have you. And it's it's nothing. I mean, if you think about it, it's commonsensical. You know, you, you have somebody who is not able to lift a bag at the shopping uh, after shopping and you give them a hand to walk them to their car. You know, it's 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 a lot of it is really intuitive, but it is given the language. It, it is couched in a rights based language in the sense that you as a person with disability have a right to ask for this. And. I think what um, you know what what what, ha what could be very beneficial to people who experience long COVID is actually being able to articulate their needs. Um, you know, in in that sense, you know, this is this is part of the it's it's part of the disability movement. So to be able to articulate your needs, um, you know, and and your need for adjustment, and to have that realized is something that would be really really crucial for people who experience long COVID. Um, because otherwise you will have you will have this 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 tendency of people to just drop out of the education system or the workplace or you know um, you know uh, re, you know re recluse themselves from like you know social interactions and things like that you know in the thing that I will recover and then go back to this but we don't really know what that's going to look like um, and the fact that even if you can recover from something. So even if your disability is not something that may be lifelong, it doesn't mean that you don't get the protection under the convention. So I think that's very important. Now, I must put a pause here because I don't think that people who have long COVID should be forced to identify as people with disabilities if that's not what they want to do. Uh, I think that, you know, um, 
while a condition is certainly disabling and i would look at it as you know being a person with a disability i know that not everyone is comfortable with that understanding um but to say that one and, and that in itself is is complicated because is it because we have a stigma against people with disabilities that we don't want to be called people with disabilities but just to say that i believe that long covid is a disabling condition and can bring people under the understanding of persons with disabilities for the purpose of the convention also for the purpose of indian law for at least the aspects on discrimination uh so you said that it's common sensical and that would be relying a lot upon people's generosity in some way right i mean in or and common sense exactly so uh how so when it comes to right based it becomes an entitlement of sorts so how does how can that be done like say for instance if 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 i as an employer uh, like you know we actually know someone who who had to lose an opportunity because he said that i cannot move to a city immediately how can reasonable accommodations be made and in a way that you know you can ask for it so um you know we have a uh, reasonable accommodation is something that features under the indian law so we do have a recognition that uh, persons with disabilities can ask for reasonable accommodation and of course right now we have an indian law that has a list of persons with disabilities different categories and long covid is not on this list uh this is not an exhaustive list in the sense that it can be amended at any point of time but this is going to be a separate issue and separate advocacy so your entitlements really depend on your certification so for example if you look at social protection disability pensions and things like that or uh you know uh railway um uh concessions if you look at um inclusion in poverty alleviation schemes if you look at uh if you look at uh, job reservations in government jobs or educational institutions these are for people with benchmark disabilities okay that's the language used throughout the act so that's a separate issue when we're looking at uh, reasonable accommodations and we're looking at the right to participate I would argue that that is much more expansive and the reason why I say that is because if you look at the the the, the if you look at the position of the law on discrimination okay like when a person with a disability is discriminated against that means any kind of act or any kind of omission that leads you to be restricted in your experience okay in a manner that is obviously you know negative to you it's it's not in your benefit that is what constitutes discrimination and the language around the provisions on discrimination the language around the provisions on addressing discrimination you know going to the disability commissioner none of them is hinged on being certified okay none of them is hinged on this so i would argue that you know you need to accept the letter of the law for what it is and you need to at least for the purpose of being of discrimination uh it is something that you you have to look at a more wider understanding of disability now reasonable accommodation is not an entitlement i would say that it's not an entitlement because reasonable accommodation under the convention under indian law is the means to address discrimination so if a person asks for reasonable accommodation and that's not given to them that actually constitutes discrimination on the basis of disability 
Okay, so it's much more than an entitlement. It's actually a tool to address discrimination. So in in that sense, it needs to be it needs to be looked at differently. It's not like hey, uh, you know, uh, we have like ten seats uh, in 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 a law school and we have twenty applicants and we're only taking ten. It's not like that. Everybody needs reasonable accommodations. Um, who everybody who needs it should receive it. Now, reasonable accommodation is something that has to be asked for by the person. So awareness is a really important part of this because if you don't know that you can ask for reasonable accommodation, you're not going to ask for it, and no one is going to give it to you uh, because a they might not know, and b they're like you know why is this my problem? So reasonable accommodation needs to be articulated by the person with disability themselves, um, and they need to say, look, this is my barrier, this is the issue. and this is what i need in order to make this okay make this like to to make that let let's talk about your colleague uh who uh you know got an opportunity in a different city but found it difficult to actually make the move for various reasons now i'm extrapolating because i don't know who this person is so apologies if you're listening into this but for example if the person said that look um you know it's it's really difficult for me because uh like for me it would be very hard if i had to do a long commute and uh you know i would have to look for a place i would have to do all this and i don't feel physically fit enough to do this in that case you know if the person articulated it this way the hr could probably you know be be considering that okay can we have someone in the staff working with this person to support them maybe set up a buddy system that this person can help them think through the move look at places that were good for you know blah 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 uh the other is that could you extend the period like usually they'd say look we would want you to join on the 1st of august but maybe this person needed more time so to articulate to say that you know okay listen i need more time to settle in uh and how would that how would that work you know how would that be uh done um you know uh, maybe they would need uh, a settling in time to say that look i mean for the first few weeks i'm going to come in just two days a week and then i will increase it as you go it's something reasonable accommodation is never and it's very rarely just one thing that people do it's more like a system and it will change and it's meant to be like that's meant to be something that's dynamic and moves along with the person so it could change and reasonable accommodation is a process that you need to work with continuously with the organization um but again you know if you don't have that awareness that you should be asking for this and couching it in that kind of language um you know we we tend to just sort of assume that okay this is not going to happen reasonable accommodation is a means to say you're putting you're, you're having a conversation with the duty bearer to say look this is what i want to do um but i can't right now because of this and so if we adapt the situation i will actually be able to play ball like everyone else and so this is what's what's really important now there is a further step to it to say that if you aren't granted reasonable accommodation you have a remedy to escalate this uh you know to uh to the disability commissioner but i don't want to go there just yet because i think that that's not I I I am fairly confident that a lot of reasonable accommodations could be achieved within mutual dialogue. Um and I I don't want to jump to an I don't want to go to assumption that people are not going to receive this and so it has to escalate but just to put it out there that it exists. I mean this is something which 
people who are denied accommodations and exams might want to do or something but like you know this is something which can be a dialogue reasonable accommodations are not absolute in the sense that if i ask for reasonable accommodation it's not like it has to be accepted because a duty bearer needs to see whether the same is feasible whether it's something which can be achieved within the realm of the law uh you know other realities um whether it's something that's actually possible like for example if i am a uh well if if i'm say uh, a firefighter you know if i say that i want to work from home that doesn't really work because it's something which has to be on on the job right uh but at the same time one could say that okay if you can't come in to do the physical act perhaps you can do like answering phone calls or something else you know there's something which can be worked out there so in 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 a broader explanation this is this is what reasonable accommodation should look like and um i i do really think that using or you know you know using the disability language people with long covid um you know can actually take advantage of these systems however i think that professionals working in hr or if you look at you know schools colleges should start expanding this understanding of reasonable accommodation to people who have long term health conditions who may not actually actively take on that because i think it's a tool that ensures that people can participate and do not face exclusion or restrictions on account of things which are beyond their control problems with long covid is that one is that they don't get a diagnosis a lot of them don't have a diagnosis nothing in a piece of paper saying long covid right it's just often something that you are experiencing and people are being gaslit how do you think that uh, people can advocate for themselves i mean you i mean you know like if you want to at places of work school college you know without as i said you know either certificate or uh, uh, even a diagnosis like what can be done reasonable accommodations are kind of things where because the effort in realizing them is not very high you're letting somebody you're asking somebody to work from home or you're letting somebody work from home instead of coming to the office uh because they don't want to risk re um uh reinfection for instance you know uh which is which is fair enough and i mean in the sense they're just working from home we were doing that for two years so what's the big deal um you know and and so you monitor their work and you know if they're not performing then you need to look at it from a different angle i suppose uh on the point of uh yeah certificate like again i i don't see and i fought with a lot of people on this that to ask for reasonable accommodations in say uh, a university or in um any place you don't need to produce necessarily a doctor certificate saying that you know this is this is what the person has primarily my argument has been because a doctor certificate doesn't really tell you anything about what support the person needs it'll just give you a diagnosis i mean you know it'll just tell you that the person has okay this person has long covid so what i mean like you said there's so much diversity in the movement it doesn't tell you what support this person needs um so the doctor certificate has very very limited uh you know utility in this case um and also forcing someone to do the rounds until you find a doctor who's willing to give you a certificate or knows what long covid is is absolutely i mean to me that's like that's like that's a human rights violation so anyway um be that as it may i i think that 
for people to advocate for themselves, I, I think what, what would have helped a lot is that under the disability law, actually you had to have or all organizations supposed to have something called an equal opportunity policy to address you know, implementation of the disability law and to talk about things like reasonable accommodations and things like that. Now, I'm not sure how many organizations actually have this, um, but it, it's, you know, it's something which you can refer to. Uh, there are some uh, which are online, for instance, but I think having a conversation with the, with the decision makers, you know, whether it's HR or whether it's your exam committee or what have you to say that, look, I mean, you know, this is the reality of what it is. And, you know, if you're not able to cope, if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm repeatedly put in a situation where I will fail to deliver because I'm not receiving accommodations, this is unfair. Um, and you will lose a student, you will lose an employee that you've already invested in. Um, you know, and I, I think that that's something which we we need to consider. Like there's much more. It, it's not as simple as, you know, like there's there's a little bit of effort that an organization needs to put in in order to retain good talent uh, who are affected by long COVID or any form of disability. I mean, it also means that it requires a, some level of acceptance of your own condition and being able to advocate for yourself in some way. In all cases, okay, of people with disabilities, uh, many years of their lives have been spent in the search for a cure. I mean, I had a colleague who did not go to school for years because her parents were literally taking her from city to city, trying to find a way for her to walk independently again after recovering from polio. Um, you know, and, and this is this is the way it's been. I mean, you have like people with, you know, it's, it's always been about curing um, as opposed to acceptance and talking about rehabilitation. Um, and I think that's really where it is, you know, this idea of, so this idea of permanent versus temporary is also relevant for disability certification, because when you get a disability certificate, it is acknowledged to be temporary or permanent. And I think the only people who get permanent certificates are people who are either completely blind or people who have full amputation. Um, but otherwise, it's always everything is temporary, uh, which is true, I guess. So in a way, you know, what what we you know, what what I'm, I was talking about uh, when we were talking the other day was that, you know, the, the fact is that we often spend a lot of time around curative aspects. But the fact is that you might your your definition of recovery will differ and your definition of recovery will evolve and it will not be I will be 100 percent like the way I was before, like the bat in, in Guangzhou got whatever. I mean, like, you know, like I'm going to be back to like 2019, November. Um, but you, it's possible that you might not be there. And it's really wretched to sort of accept that. But it's also, it opens up a different process, right? It's like, okay, this is where I am now. So what do I need? Like, what are the barriers that I am experiencing right now? Like how, can I sort of do the things that I enjoy doing earlier? I might have to do them differently. So that's on me that I, I look at the way I might have to do things differently. But at the same time, like how, you know, how am I working with people in my family or in my uh, study circle or in my workplace 
uh, or where have you in acknowledging that and, you know, sort of making it easier for me. And that's where you can start thinking about what reasonable accommodation means. And maybe it'll change. Maybe you won't need it after a point of time. But the fact is that like our experiences with disability also evolve. I mean, like, you know, that it's um, depending where you are, uh, people will feel very different. You know, if you're a person with a disability in, say, you know, you're, you're, you go back to your hometown and your village and, and you're, you feel it's totally different. And uh, then you go somewhere else where, you know, you have all the facilities and all the recognition. Uh, you know, you can go into a supermarket and wear a yellow lanyard and then the, the staff know that you're a person with a disability who needs help. You know, it really depends on where you are, right? And it evolves. It doesn't take away from the fact that you have a disability or this condition. But in different situations and in different places, you will face a different level of barriers or different kind of barriers or less barriers. And this is part of the game. This is part of, this is, this is just the life experience and how best do we address it. How do you think countries are sort of moving in the US that how it does recognize long COVID? And UK recently, the Royal Bank of England, someone actually said that, you know, long COVID is possibly the reason why a lot of people are falling out of the workforce. So, I mean, there is some sort of understanding of this. So, like, how do you think that uh, an understanding of this can move in India, you feel? In the sense that in terms of, like, actually defining it and putting it under the benchmark, like, do you think even that is even a good idea at all? Do you think that kind of thing needs advocacy at all or it's something that, you know, uh, uh, it's better in in a more open space with the whole reasonable accommodation and, you know, having a dialogue, etc. So this is a hard one because, you know, I, um, you know, one is that if this kind of advocacy needs to be, uh, you know, it's not something which can happen uh, you know, just as a as as a group of survivors of, of or you know of people who are affected by by long COVID, it's something which uh, you know there is a disability movement that's worked on this law for so many years, and you know it's 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 it is these these amendments have impacts um, you know in in some way shape or form. Um, so I would be interested to see, for example, there is uh, a lot of work that's happening around uh, a disability right um so uh, you know there there there's there's like a new disability policy that's under uh, a public consultation right now in fact in india uh, there is also accessibility standards for the healthcare of persons with disabilities that is under uh, review uh, if you look at uh, rising flame as an organization based in mumbai they're doing some work around the accessibility standards Uh, on healthcare. So it would be interesting to see within these, you know, how long COVID features, if at all, um, the advocacy to to get long COVID introduced specifically will take time A. And in a sense, it may lead to some amount of gatekeeping because when you have a disability that's recognized, you will then have a certification process. And the certification process will always have some sort of um, discomfort. People will be excluded. It will not be, it will be very hard to develop a, a, you know, sort of certification that everybody would be okay with, you know, like how do you assess 
uh, fatigue. If you look at conditions like, uh, you know, there are, there are lots of rare diseases, uh, there are lots of uh, conditions like chronic fatigue, which have not been mentioned under the Disability Act yet. Um, so in a sense, there is already some discomfort right now with the list and the assessment processes. And if you get into the list, what happens is that you will end up excluding people from the diversity of people who have long COVID. And this might create a problem. Uh, because it might, you know, if you if you if you have some if you have a condition that's not on the list and you just talk about the experience, it might be at, you might have some advantage to that actually, as opposed to having something which is set uh, pretty much like what what do you, what is your diagnosis, you know? Um, but I think that if of course if you're talking about things like you know what are the benefits, social protection or um, uh, like I said, reservations and things like that. I, so I think what what could be, I think a tool that is extremely important when we're looking at people affected by long COVID, I think what would be really, really interesting is if India implemented, they're not, but if India implemented the Washington Group set of questions, uh, which was developed by the Washington Group on Statistics, which is a UN, uh, you know, UN uh, group, uh, which was looking at this issue of how do we certify people with disabilities. Um, now, if you look at, not certify, but how do we identify people with disabilities? So world over, okay, uh, you know, if you're looking at the question in census, okay, how many people with disabilities are there? Uh, world over, it's usually, it's, it's, it's like India, like 2.3 in the last census in 2011. Uh, and most of the countries are kind of the same way. And countries differ in the way they ask the question. Like, are you a person with disability? Are you blind? You know, it, it, there's no uniformity in how these questions are asked. And also, if, if the world, I mean, the World Health Organization estimates that 10 to 15 percent of the world's population has a disability. But in our own censuses, we find that it's like it's really poor. Right? It's under 3 uh, percent in many, many countries. Um, why does that happen? So there is research to show that in countries where a person is asked, do you have a disability? People will say no. Uh, you know, and this is for a, a, a huge range of reasons, right? Like, I mean, it, it may be, uh, one is that questions are asked by evaluators who don't always ask the question, uh, you know, because they think it's stigmatizing or whatever. Um, the second is that, like, sometimes the question is asked, but people answer no, again, because of maybe there might be stigma issues or they might be uncertain. Yes, this person can't see, but we don't have a disability certificate. Uh, if you think about older people, like if you think about your grandparents who can't hear anymore, or you think about somebody who's lost sight. I mean, they will never say that they're a person with a disability. They'll just say that they're old. Um, so a lot of people who actually, I mean, the state could benefit by knowing how many people have, say, functional difficulties in moving around or, say, whatever it may be, you don't have that information. And you have really poor statistics on how many people with disabilities there are, right? And this leads to poor planning and poor budgeting. So the Washington Group of Questions, there are different sets, but there is an extended set uh, and there is a short set. And uh, the Indian disability sector has been quite divided on this. Uh, but um, in, in, in theory, uh, the questions are framed in a way that actually allow people to identify. So they will ask questions like, you know, uh, do you have difficulty walking, you know, st or climbing stairs, for example? 
And you can answer that I have a lot of difficulty, I have little difficulty, I have some difficulty, or I can't do it at all. And it's a very function-based question. Uh, it's very clear that, look, on account of a health condition, do you have difficulties? And it talks about, uh, the short set talks about, uh, you know, your physical movement. It talks about uh, hearing, seeing, remembering, concentrating, uh, self-care. Um, and, uh, so this is, you know, this is what is the, this is what the short set is, but there are, if you look at the extended set, there are questions around fatigue. Uh, there are questions around, uh, you know, f fine motor skills. And I feel that you could identify a lot more. It would be very interesting to see how many people talk about things like fatigue. And, you know, if they say on account of a health condition, linking it to COVID or the experience of COVID, uh, it would be very interesting to see what that looked like. But right now, in terms of, I'm, I'm bringing this up because your question on data, like how many people are affected by long COVID, um, we, we might not know that, but I think that effective data questioning, and I would strongly advocate for the use of the Washington group, would actually catch a lot more people and get a real sense of how many people are actually experiencing fatigue or um you know, the other kind of long-term symptoms that people are re reporting.